When you set out to do something in your life, you want to see results. I mean, I don't think any of us like kind of make up our minds to, to do something, to commit to something and say, oh, we're just going to just do this just for no good reason. No, we want to do it and we want to see the results that come as a result of committing to that thing, that process. When we commit ourselves to a certain direction, we want to realize the results of committing to that certain path. When you set out to get an education, maybe you enter into some type of a schooling program, college, school, trade school of some kind. You set out to get an education, you want to see that you are getting smarter, that you're acquiring the knowledge that you need to acquire. When you commit to saving money, maybe you say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm not that great with money, I want to commit to saving money. Well, if you commit to it, hopefully you begin to see the savings account kind of go in the positive direction. Amen? When you commit to that diet, you want to see the benefits, right? <laughs> so many people give up on dieting because the, sometimes the results can be slow. Well, when you give your life to Christ, it is no different. When we give our lives to Christ, we knew that something needed to change and there needed to be a new result, new things happening in our lives. And we want to see these results. And I don't know if you've looked in your life, if you've kind of given inventory, and I think if you look at your life spiritually, I think it's a good idea to kind of give inventory to it. Take, a, take an assessment you know, week to week, month to month, maybe year to year. You know, are you, are you growing in the Lord? Are you growing in the things of God? Are you seeing the results that you're a person of faith, that you've been brought into the family of God? It's a good idea. Before your life with Christ, it wasn't so great. It really wasn't. You might think, oh, people think, oh, well, yeah, I had a good life. Well, the Bible teaches us that without Christ, that it's not so great. It paints a picture of, of that we need a savior. It paints a picture that we are literally dead in our sins. In this, in this passage, we're gonna learn in this, not the, tonight's passage, but in this book, we're gonna learn that it is actually Christ who completes us. So the contrary would be true that without Christ, we're incomplete. And so when we come to Christ and Christ is the center of our lives, he's that supreme one in our life, then there's going to bring, that's going to bring about tremendous results. We're going to have new experiences in our spiritual walk. We're going to begin to walk in, a, in an abundant life, a joyful life that, that Jesus promised. Believing upon Jesus is the beginning to a wonderful new life. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be a bowl of cherries, but we're going to see results in our lives that will get us through every difficult time and bring us into times of refreshing and flourishing. Amen? When you come into your life with Christ, you, you go from a state of literally, as, as Paul put it to the Ephesians, from death to life, right? From going to a place of being a slave to sin to being free, to being set free. And you can now live for something that's bigger than yourself. You can live for God. 
You go from a place of total barrenness spiritually and in other areas of life to living a life that has begun to flourish and become more fruitful. Because we'll learn that the Christian life, I believe, is a life of flourishing. And when you commit your life to the principles of Christ, when you submit yourself under the supremacy of Christ, that begins to affect not just this little box over here, this little area that we might call our Christian life, but no, it should be permeating every area of our life. Amen? You live your life for God. The problem is we see many people who accept Christ, or maybe they become a Christian in some type of a setting, and then for whatever reason, they don't see that progression. They don't see those results happening. Well, I want to just take the book of Colossians and let it be kind of that which kind of is a reason for us to kind of take inventory of where we are in life, where we are in Christ, and, and making sure that Christ is supreme above all in, in our lives. Because we're going to learn in Colossians that he is supreme above all over, 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 the, over the world. Amen? Over all the creation. He literally, as we'll learn in Colossians, is holding the world together right now. So if indeed he is holding the world together, I want to give my life to him. I want to live for him. So, we're going to look at this passage tonight, just the opening salutation and a couple of verses, and look at the results of faith. Um, Colossians is a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae to encourage believers in their faith as well as to instruct them in the areas of true maturity in their faith. He also is dealing with a a heresy that had come up in the church. And scholars aren't exactly sure. I mean, if you read the commentaries, I don't think there's kind of like an outline of the heresy that Paul was dealing with. But from the things that he says in the letter, we can begin to kind of work backwards and say, well, he's saying this, therefore he's countering this. And so there was this heresy that, Really, you could call it kind of, I guess you could call it an early Gnosticism. Gnosticism fully developed uh, later after this, but it's really uh, kind of an early Gnosticism. There are later scholars who challenge the, the authorship of Paul of the book of Colossians because they say that he uh, is dealing too much with uh, Gnostic ideas and, and countering them. Um, but I think those, those, off, those commentators fail to realize that although n- uh, that Gnosticism wasn't full-blown at the time that most scholars put the dating of the authorship of, of Colossians, that those seeds had been sown. And so we really have like an early Gnostic heresy that's being dealt with. So in this opening section of Colossians, Paul greets the church there at Colossae with grace and peace and he tells of his prayers for the Christians there and he encourages them in the results of their having believed upon Christ. In the opening salutation, we see some results first of Paul's faith and then he 
goes broader and shows the results of their faith. And so we'll see the results of Paul's faith, the results of the Colossians' faith, and these, I think, all of them, whether they're Paul's or the ones that he addresses as the, the, his, his readers, these are all things that we should see in our lives resulting in having given Christ that, that supreme part of our lives. Amen? So let's take a look at it, the results of Paul's faith. Let's begin Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. He says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faith, faithful brothers in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we have uh, uh, the salutation of Paul, and this is kind of a, a salutation that that's, it's, there's elements that are basically common to Paul's salutations in his epistles, in his letters. Uh, he uses these types of salutations. And uh, he opens up the, the letter to the Colossians here um, in this way, and he commends to the readers that he is the writer of the letter, Paul. He just, you know, right there at the beginning, uh, this is Paul. Uh, and then he, and he goes on, and he, uh, it's, it's really a simple salutation, but in the salutation even, we see the results of Paul's faith. The first result of Paul's faith is worth, that is worth noting is that he was saved. I think what we got to realize, I think the first thing that you need to realize about being a Christian, is that you've been saved. You didn't just give your life to Jesus. You didn't just become a Christian. You have literally been saved. You've been saved from yourself. You've been saved from your sins. You've been saved from the sway of the, the wicked one. You've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of God. You have been saved. And... You'd say, well, it goes without saying, isn't it? I mean, we're, you know, this is the church, and aren't we all saved? But I, how, how often do you really think about the reality that you have been saved? Right? Paul had been saved. Paul had an incredible salvation experience. Uh, he was literally, you know, he was serving the Lord, but he was, had re rejected Christ. He was persecuting Christians. He was literally, he, he was on the way to Damascus with, with letters in his hands uh, to, to, to take Christians into custody. He, he stood by as, as believers were put to death. And then on that road to Damascus, boom, the light of Jesus shone up on him. Knocked him off of his horse, blinded him, and then the voice spoke to him. Paul, Paul, or actually Saul, right? Saul, Saul, why, why do you persecute? And he says, who, who is this? It's Jesus. Jesus spoke to him. And he was assisted into the town of Damascus. You don't have time to go through the whole passage if you want to read Acts 9 and read that whole 
Paul conversion experience. He later receives his sight back. He has, a, a, basically, he's, he's commissioned by God, by Christ, to be a, an apostle to the Gentiles, to the, to the, to the, to the world, really. To, to, to be one that would be sent with the gospel of Christ. And God had strategically planned and, and ordained and positioned his life to do just that. But the reality is that although maybe you don't have a story like that, maybe you never were knocked off a horse by Jesus and blinded by blinding light and literally had an audible voice of Christ and had people prophesy over you and do all this stuff. Maybe, maybe you say, well, I don't have those elements. Well, if you've been given... If you've, been, if you've given your life to Christ and you come into the kingdom of God, I'm here to tell you that you have a powerful testimony. Because if you could see into the spirit what the Lord has done in your life, you would literally be blown away. We would all be blown away. The Lord just rolled back the curtains for us, replayed the tape. Look, this is, this is where you were. This is who you were. This is what you were without Christ in your life. And to look at what Christ has done in your life, we would be amazed. Amen? Amen? A lot of people revere Jesus as a good teacher and philosopher. Well, what did the, well, I believe he's more than that, amen? amen? Some believe that's all he is, all he was. And to that I say, well, what did the good teacher say? <laughs> John 3, verse 18, I'll have it on the screen. This is what he said. In that context, speaking to Nicodemus, he said, he who believes in me is not condemned, but he who does not believe in me believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What's that? If you believe upon Christ, if you believe upon Jesus, you're not condemned. But if you don't believe, he says, you're condemned already. The previous verse, he says, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. Why didn't he come into the world to condemn the world? Well, because the world is already condemned. The world is already up under the wrath of God. Uh, Paul makes this argument in, in his epistles. But here, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's, 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 it's pretty crystal clear. He who believes in me is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So if you believed upon the name of the only begotten Son of God, you're not condemned. You've been, brought from, you've been brought from death to life, from darkness to light. You've been saved, set free. Amen. Amen. Another result of Paul's faith is direction. He was saved, and then he was directed. He says, Paul, an apostle by the will of God. Right? Isn't that how it opens up? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So not only was he saved and given a whole new life, he was saved from all that, but he was given direction. God made him an apostle. The word apostle means one who is sent. Jesus called him and saved him and called him and sent him. Sent him as a, an apostle, as one who would be sent with the gospel of Christ to the Gentiles. Paul was sent by Jesus himself to bring the name of the gospel of Jesus Christ before the Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. 
Acts 9, verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he has chosen a vessel of mine to bear the name before, bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And he would bear the name of Christ in all those places, to all those types of people. He went to the Gentiles. He went from Damascus. He ended up going into the deserts of Arabia, right? Where, where he conferred with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God delivered the gospel to him. That's why in Galatians 1, he says, look, I didn't receive this gospel from, from anyone, from flesh and blood, but it was delivered to me by the Lord. And then he came to the disciples in Jerusalem and he said, this is what I received from the Lord. And they kind of corroborated and said, yeah, that's, that's right, that's correct. That's the gospel. But he was called by the Lord to be an apostle to the Gentiles. He, he had this goal of, you know, hey, you're going to bring my name, you're going to bring my name, my gospel, to the Gentiles. And his goal was to get all the way to Spain. Somehow to get all the way to Spain, preach the gospel, and then circle back around and come back. And kind of go, boom. <laughs> you know? We did it. <laughs> we did it, Right? And, uh, and, and, and when you read Paul, when you read the, the missionary journeys of Paul, when you read his epistles, I mean, you, you, there's that level of kind of godly ambition that God, the Lord gave him uh, that, that you sense in all of it. Amen? Amen? So he says, I'm an apostle by the will of God. Paul knew, knew God's will for his life. And he was, commit, uh, he was content and committed to it. And I think what we need to learn is, too, that, is that, that, that when we look at our lives, um, do, we, do we look at uh, the fact that we're saved? Do we look at the fact that we're saved and acknowledge that and think about that, think about what God's done to us? And, do, and, do you, and are you able to, like, give, has God given you direction? You should, you should feel like you have direction in life. You should feel like that the Lord has called you, that the Lord is speaking to you. This, I think this is kind of, this is a crux of a lot of problems because a lot of Christians, a lot of people, I don't know, what, you know, I, what do I do? And the, and the Lord is speaking and the Lord is calling and he wants to give you direction. And some of that is the, is, is the calling that he has placed upon your life. And so it could be what you're doing with your life. You know, we, we, we've kind of gotten away, and I wrote, a, I wrote a blog when I had a blog years ago. Um, I wrote a post about how I don't really hear a lot of talk about calling anymore. We, when I grew up, that, that's, that's, all, that's all I heard about. The calling of God, and what has God called you to, and and this is the environment that I grew up, I, I almost don't even hear it anymore. To the point where people will just whimsically say from week to week, well, God's, God has me over here doing this. And then two months later, it's, oh, I'm over here doing this. And there's just this kind of wishy-washy, all over the place 
type of a thing. And, and, and that's not what God's called us to do. God's called us. God's speaking to each one of us. And he's, he's, he's giving you a calling. He's giving you direction. Well, that doesn't mean you can't be an itinerant preacher and travel around and be here. Okay, you get what I'm saying? But I've, I've talked to a lot of pastors. I've, I've got a lot of pastor friends. And, 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 and we share, you know, all of our you know, war stories and <laughs> encourage one another in things, you know? And this is a lot, this is what I hear. A lot I hear it. So we need to be people who are saved. We need to be people who are directed. And I, and I would think it would be great if you could write a salutation, if you were going to write a letter to some other people and say your name and that you are such and such or directed to do such and such by the will of God. You know? And I, and, and I think that, that, that that's profound. It might, it might not necessarily line up with your job. I mean, you know, if I remember like at one point I had a job at McDonald's, <laughs> right? Back when I was 15, right? Yeah. Believe it or not, Nancy and I worked at McDonald's together. You wouldn't believe this. Nancy and I worked at McDonald's together in Centerville, Virginia. Believe it or not. Back in the glory days of McDonald's. <laughs> now it's, it's, you know, it's McDonald's is McDonald's. But, yeah, I guess at that point I wouldn't have said Charles a... Uh, McDonald's worker by the will of God. You know, but if God's called me to take that position, I think I could say that at least for that time period. Because if God is truly directing my paths and my steps, ordering my steps, then I wouldn't take the job at McDonald's unless I felt like God leading me and directing me to take the job at McDonald's. So that therefore when I take the job at McDonald's, I can say I'm here at McDonald's by the will of God. Boom. That's good. So then he says, Timothy, also our brother. Timothy was a man, a young man that Paul had met on, his first, on Paul's first missionary journey in a town called Lystra. And, and Timothy more than, more than likely came to Christ through Paul's ministry, and he would become a close ministry companion and really... You know, the, you know, Timothy is kind of like Paul's protege, really. He's like his understudy. In fact, people in the church talk about having a Timothy, or if you're a Timothy, having a Paul, right? And so the, the analogy is that you have someone that you're, that you're learning from, or if you're like a Timothy, or if you're a, if you're a Paul, that you have a Timothy, someone that you're bringing along, bringing kind of, you know, up the ladder or down the ladder, <laughs> however you want to look at it. And then lastly, Paul was a blessing. He was saved, he was directed, and then he was a blessing everywhere he went. How, how's that? Well, he, he closed off the salutation by saying, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul was a blessing. Christian, you need to get to the point. I hope you get to the point. I hope you quickly get to the point. <laughs> of realizing that God has called you, he's saved you, he's directed you to be a blessing. Yes. And hopefully, 
When people see you coming, they say, oh, look, it's so-and-so. What a blessing. <laughs> Not like, oh, here comes so-and-so. Where can we hide? <laughs> right? Hopefully, when people see you, they know that it's, it, they're, they're about to be blessed. That, you, that, that when you step into the room or into the conversation, that, that, that the atmosphere is about to, to go up another notch, not down. That, that, that the whole thing's going to be lifted up, that the whole thing's going to be built up, that the whole thing's going to be edified. That you're going to be a blessing. That you can come into a, into a conversation and, hey, grace to you. Grace and peace to you. Man. Christians, we need this. Is, this is the, these are the type of people we need to be. And this, is, and this is how Paul was. Now, the order, grace and peace, is very important because, you, because everybody wants peace. Let's just have peace. Let's have peace. But you can't have true peace, the kind of peace that God wants us to have, without first having the grace of God. You have to have the grace of God, and then the peace of God flows from the grace. Because when you have the grace of God, then you can begin to have the peace of God. Because the peace of God... To, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it was the Hebrew word shalom. It's not just kind of like, hey, everything's calm right now. It's much, much more than that. Grace and peace, shalom, just a peace that just permeates your life. That just goes down into the core of your life and of your spirit. And, and into your mind, it, 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 and, and all the way through it. So that just the peace of God, the Prince of Peace, the peace of God is just permeating you. And so when you come into a place, you're bringing, you're, you're a carrier of the grace and peace of God to those around you. Okay, so this is Paul's opening his salutation, and it kind of gives us a little bit of a background of the results of Paul's faith, but then he begins to talk about the believers in Colossae, and we begin to see some of the results of the believers' faith there. Let's pick it up in verse 3. It says this, Paul says this, We give thanks to God, to, the, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of, of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the, world, in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as, as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, fruit, as it is also among you since the day that you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. And so we have the results of Paul's faith. We have the results of the believer's faith. Next, Paul gives thanks to God and tells the believers at Colossae that he's praying for them continuously since he heard of their faith in Christ. How, how does he say that? He says, we give thanks to the, God, to, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Now that, you might think of like, okay, come on now, Paul. You know, that just sounds like, is, 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 is he stretching the truth there? I mean, is that some Christianese? I mean, the Christianese was this, 
this old, we're praying always for you. We're just always praying for you. I think the idea is that Paul, Paul prayed about what his life was focused towards. And no, I don't think he's saying that he prayed every second of the day. He didn't in the Thessalonian, to the Thessalonian church, he, he said in chapter 5, he said, pray without ceasing, right? Pray without stopping. He's not saying you wake up from the moment your eyeballs pop open and you know, you're just praying throughout the day every second, every millisecond of the day. No, he's talking about that there's this natural gravitation towards prayer and the things that are before you and the things that you're doing and the things that you're called to the people that are in your life, those are the things that you're going to be praying about. And so Paul says, hey, we thank God for you, we thank Christ for you, because, and we, and we also have been praying for you. We pray always for you. Paul goes on to tell them of the results of their faith. Word had gotten back to Paul, and now Paul is telling them what he has heard about, about their faith in Jesus. Their faith in Christ is represented representative in a lot of ways of the faith of a believer and the things that come into the life of the believer as a result of having believed upon Jesus Christ. So Paul lists some of the results from the believer's faith. The first one that he mentions is love. Look at that. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints... And so he says, hey, we've heard of your great faith. We've heard that, that you believed upon Christ. And, and because of that, we've heard, we've heard about the love that's in you. We, we've heard about how you love the saints, how you love the brothers. We, we hear about how you love each other. He's heard that these Christians have a real love for their fellow believers in Jesus. They love the church. They love a brother and sister in Christ. And what we need to be is we need to be the people, if, 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 if Jesus said the, the, mark, the mark of a believer in Christ, how, how, how people will even know that you're of him, of, of Jesus, is if we have love one for another. And so this is the mark of, of the love of God, of, the, of, the, of, of a faith in God, that we have love for one another. And, and the question really for us is, do we have love for the brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we have a love for the people of God in our lives? Do we have a love for the church? And this means that we have a love for all believers. Not just people who are a part of like, you know, our like denomination <laughs> or our movement. Okay? We need we have a love there's one faith, one body. Right? And we have a discernment for the body of Christ. And when we know what it means to be a Christian, we know the results of being a Christian, that there should be a love for the body of Christ. 
So the things that come out of our mouth, the things that are written down, the things that we write, the things that we say, the things that, that, that happen, that they need to be things of love. We may not agree with every person in the body of Christ. We, not, we may not compare notes and, 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 and everything is the exact same. But if, if there's a few fundamental things, if, 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 if Jesus is number one, if he's the son of God, if, if, if there's a belief in, in the fact that he went to the cross and died and was buried and resurrected on the third day, there's some basic tenets there. Then we need, to be, we, we need to love the church. We need to love brothers and sisters. And, you know, when I, when I see like an interview with somebody um, and they begin to talk about faith, you know, there, there's... You know, you have this discernment that you have where you go, wow, I recognize, I discern that this is a brother. <laughs> you know? That this is a sister in the Lord. And they don't have to be, you know, in a Calvary chapel or a they have to be in the, the body of Christ. You know, some people still never heard of Calvary Chapel. It's okay. God's got a big plan. <laughs> He's got a lot of ministers out there across the world reaching people, preaching the gospel, preaching. So we've got we've to not allow our mindset to just to get so narrow. Amen? Love. We've, we've received a great love. We've been loved. We've been given so much love. And Jesus would tell his disciples, freely you have received, freely give. We sing about it every week. We come in and, oh, Jesus loves us and he loved us and he sacrificed everything for us and he came into the world and humbled himself because he loved us so much and we're the treasure in the field and he loves us and he loves us. Well, Think about it. You've been loved so much. Freely you have received, freely give. Be a loving person. Be a blessing. Amen. In Revelation chapter 2, the church at Ephesus, when you get into the seven letters of Jesus, Jesus wrote some letters, some epistles. <laughs> seven of them, to seven different churches. The first church on the list, the first church that he wrote to was the church at Ephesus. And he commended them for a couple things, and then he says, but you've left your first love. You've left your first love. Which kind of is to say, I mean, if you look at the words of Jesus, it's, it seems to be that you can have a love, that you can have a a first loving experience. You can be having this experience of love with God and love in the church of Jesus Christ and then you can leave that love. You can lose that love. You can fall from that place of love. You've left your first love. And he says it that way. He says you've left your love. You've left your first love. And I think that really kind of is, there's a there's very specific way that he said that, that's kind of like, this, this, this wasn't like, you know, 
there was some conscious things that happened that caused you to leave your first love. And then he, he gives them the remedy. He gives the Ephesians the remedy. He says, remember the love that you had at first. Remember what you did. And anybody who's ever fallen out of love and gone to counseling, one of the great pieces of counseling, and I think Jesus would counsel, Jesus counseled Ephesus in this way, and he would counsel you. Remember what you did at the first, what you did at the beginning. Sometimes couples, married couples, they say, well, we've fallen out of love, right? A good place to start is, well, when did you leave your first love? When did you leave your love? And are you, you, you need to think about what you did at the first. Go back to what you did at the first. Think about that. Now, when I met Mary Jo, wow, we're coming up on our 25th anniversary here in, uh, in a couple of months. Amen? No, 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 no hand claps yet, because we got to make it. <laughs> We got to make it till the 20, the 18th of December. Okay, so the 18th of December, 25 years. Amen. But I remember when I first met Mary Jo. I I said, "Wow, wow, wow, wow." And I, you know, sat by her in church, and we, you know, passed notes in church. Did we do that? Don't do that. Okay. <laughs> but we we uh, we went out on our first date on on um, December twenty seventh, nineteen eighty eight. So actually, this December we will literally have been together for thirty years, twenty five married. Okay, and we still only look about thirty five. Amen. So that's good. <laughs> But I remember when we started dating and, and uh, she was still in high school and I was in college, a freshman in college, and I was in college down here in Florida and she was in the Washington, D.C. area. This was back before the internet, before email, before texting, before Snapchat, before FaceTime, se- before cell phones. Okay, long distance calls was 10 cents a minute. I rem- well, I don't know what it was way back, but I remember that when Sprint came out with a special card that you could talk on the phone for 10 cents a minute, long distance, right? So we rang up these huge phone bills. Huge. It was a precursor of our cell bill for today. <laughs> it was a precursor. But then we also wrote letters. From January, from our first date till April of that next year, we went into the new year. I wrote Mary Jo 63 letters in four months. Wow, I'm, 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 I'm convicted. <laughs> Go back to what you did at the first. Where, where's your heart? 
That's what Jesus would say to the church at Ephesus. And, and if, if, you're, if you don't recognize that love for Christ and that love for his church and that love for brothers and sisters in Christ, then go back to the, go back to the beginning. Go back to where it was at the, at the first. 63 letters in four months. And I think she still has all those in a box somewhere. Wow. Now, if you did that today, kids would have to, like, what, save their texts? <laughs> I've got 42,327 texts that I gave you in four months. Where are they? I don't know. My iCloud just got deleted. <laughs> oh. Wow. Go back to what you did at the first and allow that love to, to be rekindled, to be rejuvenated. Amen? Yes. The second thing, the second result is hope. Let's go back to the text. He says, we give thanks to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of your love for all of the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the, wor in the word of truth of the gospel which has come to you as it has also in all the world. Amen. And so they have a hope. So you have a, you have a faith in Christ that, re, that produces love in your life. Love for God, love for the church. And you also have a hope. Before your life in Christ, maybe you didn't have much hope. Or maybe you had hope in things but you didn't realize that ultimately those things weren't reliable. Right. right? We talked about it in Genesis. Remember when the money gave out? There was no money. What did they do? They went to Pharaoh and said, we give you, our, just, we give you ourselves. Right? We got our faith in stuff. But ultimately, we don't know how reliable that is. And the most reliable thing that we can have is a hope in Jesus Christ. Yes. Amen? Because as Paul would tell the Roman church, he says, we have a hope that will not disappoint. Right. That will not disappoint. Mm. Amen? So the saints at Colossae had a hope. If you're a believer, you have a hope. You have a future with Jesus. You have a present and you have a future with Jesus. So no matter what's going on in your life, you have a hope. No matter how many storms there are, no matter how many tense situations you might have, no matter, no, no matter how many hardships, no matter how many struggles, you have a hope in Jesus Christ. And hope that is looking forward to the future. Many people today can't look to the future. They're afraid of perhaps of the future. Where is it going? What's going to happen? But we can look to the future. We can look to the future. Sometimes there's, there's people in, in the church that they don't want to look at end time studies and stuff like that because oh, I don't want to talk about that. Hey, look, hey, here, here's the end times. Okay, There's a lot to study in there, but guess what? When you get past all that stuff that it talks about, Guess what? We're going to be with Jesus. So we can think about the future. Yeah. 
We can think about where we're headed and we have a hope that will not disappoint. Amen. The last thing that he talks about is fruit. Paul points to, as a result of the believer's faith, is fruit. Let's go back to the text there. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which was laid up for you in heaven, of which you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as, as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth, forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. And so you have a love in your life, you have a hope in your life, and you have fruit in your life. You become a fruitful person. And you become fruitful in, when you look at the idea of fruit in the Bible, you know, really the, the life of a believer is, is that of a fruit tree, <laughs> really. A tree planted by the river. Read Psalm 1. Let, read Psalm 1, 1 through 3, and let it become like one of your favorite passages in your life. Because God wants you to be a tree planted by the river that will bring forth its fruit in its due time, and the leaves will not wither, and you will be prosperous and flourish. Yes. Yes. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. That's a paraphrase. <laughs> There's three, th three types of fruit of the believer in the Bible. The first one is this, the fruit of repentance. One fruit that the gospel produces in the life of the believer is the fruit of repentance. If we've truly responded to the gospel, we should see the fruits of true repentance. What's repentance? Repentance is, there is this idea of turning. It's literally turning from the old life that you have. It's kind of that, it's, 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 I'm turning from that and I'm kind of, you know, it's a 180. I'm no longer headed in that direction. I'm no longer serving those things. I'm no, I'm no longer serving foreign gods. I've come, I'm, I'm serving you, God. You're number one. You're the supreme in my life. And, and I've repented of that. That's the fundamental point of repentance. And I think there's an idea of repentance that kind of gets stuff out of the way in your life so that The king of glory can come right up into the center of your life and take up residence in your life. That's why the, you know, when John the Baptist, you read in Matthew chapter 3, where John the Baptist was called on the scene to call people to repentance, right? He was the voice that the prophet prophesied about, the one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. What's that? Make straight, make a straight way for the Lord. Guess what? The Lord Jesus is coming and he wants to come right into the center of your life. And so what we need to do is we need to make a straight path right into the center of your life. So whatever it is, I, you need to clear a path right now for the Lord so that the Lord Jesus can come right up into the center of your life and the center of your heart that he's the supreme one in your life. And I, I spent a summer doing land surveying. At, 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 on a land surveying uh, uh, team, uh, a crew, right? Yeah, I was, I was a part of the crew. <laughs> the, a land surveying crew, you had, a, you had 
You had, an in, you had a chief. You had an instrument man. And you had a rodman. That was me. Rodman was the guy who carried all the equipment for the chief and the instrument man. Okay? You're carrying tripods and things, and you're going out. And one summer, we did, we did a 500-acre boundary survey in Frederick, Maryland. And 500 acres is a big piece, of, big piece of land right there. Okay? And one of the things you had to do is you had to set up these tripods on what they called these these traverse points, which is like basically rebars that they, that they put in the ground. And then they come off of the corners to those traverse points and they shoot distances and they do the, they do the, uh, the survey, right? Well, in order to shoot those distances, you couldn't have debris and stuff in the way. I don't know if they do this any differently now, but perhaps they have better equipment. But back then, we literally had to take machine... Uh, I was almost going to say machine guns. Machetes. We had, to take, we had to take machetes out there into the woods. And literally, we were like Indiana Jones in there. And we had to cut a straight path so that that beam, that laser, could shoot the distance so that they could do the boundary survey. And what it is is a great picture of what it means to repent and make a straight path for the Lord to come into the center of your life. And God wants to do that in your life. And there's some stuff maybe that needs to be cut out of the way. It's, 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 it's stuff that, 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 that needs to be cut out. Why? Because it's, it's not contributing towards the fruit of repentance in your life. It's not contributing towards having a straight path into the center of your life. It's kind of maybe overgrowing and causing you to be entangled with the things that, that is pulling you away from the first love that God wants you to have in your life. So, the fruit of repentance. The fruit of righteousness. Another fruit of the gospel in the believer's life is the fruit of righteousness. Paul talks about this in Philippians 1. Not only will you have righteousness, you will be able to make righteous decisions. And so we have fruits of righteousness. We have a harvest of righteousness. I think this is probably, this is one of the big ones. I mean, they're all big, right? I mean, how do you, how do you make one of these points and say, well, this is a bigger point than the last point, right? <laughs> but if you were going to say, I mean, what does the Lord want what is the type of fruit that God wants you to have in your life? He wants you to have a harvest of righteousness in your life. Yes. I mean, a lot of times, we're, hey, I want a harvest. I want all kinds of harvest. Harvest is a great word, right? We're getting ready to come into harvest time. Pumpkin spice lattes and all the rest of it, right? Mary Jo's already got all of her fall decorations out and, you know, orange and brown and... Various leaves around the house. <laughs> you want a harvest, right? You want a harvest. Everybody wants a harvest. But you, but you, have, to, you have to sow to get a harvest, right? You have to sow seed. And the biggest harvest that God wants in your life is a harvest of righteousness. And this is something, when I, grabbed hold of, when I grabbed hold of this in my life years ago, I made it a regular part of my prayer life. 
praying for a harvest of righteousness. God, bring a harvest in our lives. Bring a harvest in my life, a harvest of righteousness. Oh, I can think of some other harvests that I would like. Oh, yeah. I can think of a lot of harvest. But God wants a harvest of righteousness. He wants the fruit of righteousness. Amen? And then the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Another fruit of the gospel. And this is where you get a little bit of overlap, right? (laughs) You get a little bit of overlap. The fruit of the gospel in your life as a believer is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is found in Galatians 5.22. He contrasts that with the works of the flesh, right? So in Galatians 5, in the preceding verses, he talks about the works of the flesh are evident, but the fruit of the Spirit. So that's why Galatians 5.22, you get there, and it's one of those famous verses, and you get there, and it says, but. But the fruit of the Spirit. What? But the fruit of the Spirit? Yeah, he's contrasting the works of the flesh to the fruit of the Spirit. So he's listing all this works of the flesh, and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, folks, is love. Is love. And so the Lord wants the fruit of the Spirit. And, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if you have faith in Christ and, you're, and, and you've allowed the Lord to become that supreme one in your life, then, then you're beginning to see these things. We're going back to the earlier point, right? Love, hope, and fruit. And now we're back to fruit of the Spirit, which is love, right? So we've circled back around to the top. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, it has been taught that the fruit of the Spirit is singular and it is love, and that the other words are merely just descriptors of love. That when you have love, when you have the agape of God in your life, that you have joy. Do you have the agape of God in your life? Do you, do you have the fruit of the Spirit? Do you have the fruit of the Spirit, which is agape? Do you have the agape of God? Do you have the, the love of God in your life? If you've got the love of God in your life, then you should have joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Wow. This is what we need. Jesus said to the disciples in John 15, verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. That's a passage in the Gospel of John where Jesus is basically telling them that I'm the vine and you're the branches. Right? Right? And you've got to stay connected. If you're the branches, if we're the branches, in this analogy that God is giving, there's a couple different analogies, right? There's the analogy of that we're, we're a tree. Then Jesus gives another analogy where he's the vine and we're the branches. And the branches, I mean, if you've done any gardening, any, any like horticulture, like pros in here? No? Horticulture? horticulture. People are like, what's horticulture? <laughs> right? If you cut off the branch, it's going to die real soon, right? You know? And you get that Christmas tree, you cut it down, you take it in the house, and then in about 20, 
six days, I always dread carrying that thing out. That's the worst day of the year. Because, because the needles go everywhere. And, they, and, and you try to take it out the back thing, and, it gets, and then the, the patio gets covered with needles, and then you try to take it through the garage one year, and then the garage gets covered. And then, you know, they need to come up with a better plan about how to do that. I guess they got these bags now that you put them in a bag. Wish I would have come up. I, I, you know, it's a good idea. But anyways, once you cut that branch off, it's going to die. And so God wants us to be fruitful. So the results of faith. It first comes with being people of faith, making Jesus Christ supreme in our lives. And then there's all these results. And I want to encourage us all tonight that these are the results that we're looking for in our lives. And as we go through the book of Colossians, hopefully, and maybe tonight is kind of one of, tonight maybe is is a diagnostic, a diagnostic checkup to say, look, do you have these things? Are these the things that you're seeing? And if not, Let's go back to the first love, our first love, Jesus Christ.